0: You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.
1: Good morning, uh, Mill Creek and guests. We're so glad to uh, have you here. Uh, My name is Grant Parker. I'm the lesser of the Timothy track interns here. (laughs) So um, anyways, yeah, we're glad to have you here. Today we'll be reading out of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4. Through chapter two, verse four, and you can find that on page nine forty one of your chairback Bibles. Um, if you don't have a Bible, please uh, take one. Um, if you don't have one, um, please please open to Hebrews one four, and hear the living word of the Lord. Having become as much superior to angels as the same name, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is this scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a a garment... They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits to send out to serve for the sake of those who are, who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is the word of the Lord, and it is true. Please pray with me. Father, we come to you together on this Sunday, God. Um, we're so thankful that we get to, to come in community. Um, Lord, I pray for those who are members here, Lord, that we receive this word and we take it into our lives. Father, um, I pray for those that are guests that they may make Jesus their savior. God, um, we ask that the word penetrates our heart and, um, changes how we live, Father. God, we trust you, and I pray over Jeremy and, his, and, and what he'll be preaching. Um, God, I pray that you use it for your glory alone and not for his or anyone else's, God. Lord, we love you, and we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you, Grant. He is not the lesser of two interns. We have two seminary interns, and they're both fantastic. If you've ever gone swimming in the ocean, I trust you know that you have to be careful because swimming in the ocean is different than swimming in a pool. My dad grew up around the ocean and the first time he took us there, he was explaining to us, you got to be careful because you may feel comfortable in water and you may be able to go swimming just fine, but stuff in the ocean works different. And so I took my kids uh, just a little while ago and we were at the ocean. I was trying to explain the same thing to them. Like, I know it can be fun and, and you kind of get to be around the waves if you've been in there. And it's, it's, it's great and, and, and exciting. But, but if there's a storm that's happened far out in the ocean or if all of a sudden something stirs up real quick, those waves can get aggressive. And what was just you sitting kind of bouncing with the waves, all of a sudden they can catch you and they can flip you over. And you can be underwater way more, uh, a lot longer than you realize if you're not careful. Or, or there's signs up on the beach about riptides, which if you've not been in a riptide, that's where all of a sudden you're getting pulled out. Even strong swimmers can get pulled out to the ocean and it's, you feel helpless because, man, the ocean is big and it is powerful. And, and, and yeah, sure, you, you might have spent a couple summers in the neighborhood pool, but all of a sudden you go there and you realize... Man, if if you take this thing for granted, you can be in a really dangerous position. I read a story of a of a family that was on the beach, and um, six year old ish was on an inflatable, and and it was tethered to the beach. And families having a fine time and doing whatever that family was doing. When when all of a sudden, uh, mom and dad looked up, and and that. Their girl on the inflatable was gone. Nowhere in sight. Says one moment out there having fun, sitting on the floaty. Next moment, can't see her anywhere. True story. They call the Coast Guard. We, we lost our daughter. And they, they take a boat and they're combing that area. She's like, a, she's like a mile out. They find her. She is hysterical. Get her off her little floaty. She says, I, sw- I want to go home. I'm done. I'm done on this inflatable. So, what happens when you take the ocean for granted? It's far more dangerous, far more powerful than we sometimes would think. And here's the connection for us today thinking about how big the ocean. And here's the truth for us. We too can be lulled to sleep and become complacent with God. He is so dangerous and so powerful if we just decide to sleep on Him. We can be complacent with God's Word. We can become lulled to sleep in God's church, even as we show up at a worship service, it can all just become so comfortable and easy, and, and we're just kind of sleepwalking all the time, and this Christian stuff can end up leaving us sluggish and and and, and, and drifting like that six-year-old. We are like out there, but... For some reason, all of a sudden, we've become untethered, and it can happen so quick as as God's people. We, we might be here last week or, or last year, and we feel like, man, we are in it, we are aware, we are being careful, the, the cultural riptides are not taking me, man, I'm, I'm keeping my eye on the shore and I'm careful with the waves, and then all of a sudden we show up on one Sunday and we realize, man, I am so far out to sea right now and I don't know what to do. It doesn't take long for Christians who mean well to find themselves in terrible spiritual danger. Because they have drifted away. To be fair, this is not a new problem for Christians today. This has been a problem for Christians for 2,000 years. It is a challenge for us to not drift away. And this morning, in this selected passage, as we walk through this letter to the Hebrews, we find our author pleading with his people not to drift away. Pay attention, he says. And so for us today, how how do we apply this ancient sermon? The author calls it an exhortation in Hebrews 13. I'm calling it a sermon. I call him the pastor. He is writing to this little church, wanting them to pay attention. And so what word does it have for us today? What life-saving message might be available to you so that you won't get lulled to sleep? In the passage today, our preacher is going to make two points. Best we can, we try to make the sermons follow the structure of the text. He has two points, so we have two points. Pay attention. He says in first point, Jesus' message has authority. That's point one. Point two, pay attention, you are accountable. Those are the two big ideas he is going to give us, and I want to walk you through the text so that you can see. If you were like me, the first time I came upon this text with all of these cross-references and all of these quotes that I didn't understand, I, I now get it, and I want you to get it so you can see God's word for yourself. Jesus' message has authority, you are accountable. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please open here. As we jump in to our first big idea. Now, as we, as we pick up there in verse 4, keep in mind the context here of Hebrews. See, this church, it was, it was uh, probably in Rome, probably 20 or 30 people in it. And, and they had probably been a church for about 30 years, ever since a few of them who had been in Judaism, the, the, the religion of the Israelites... They had a little synagogue there in Rome or whatever, but having heard about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, a few of them believed the gospel, and they came over to this little church. That's what I understand is going on in this letter, and our, and our pastor, um, what I believe to be the pastor of this small church, he was traveling as he hears all of the challenges that they are experiencing. And so he's written a sermon to encourage these Christians not to quit on the church. See, they were getting persecuted by those uh, in rome and by those who were still following judaism they were getting it from both ways of course if you follow judaism in rome that was a protected religion but not christians and so there's all this persecution and suffering they're having to endure and they're tired and 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 they're thinking to themselves maybe it's actually okay for me to go back to judaism it's this small little church perhaps a few of them have, had, had already defected perhaps thinking you know Moses in the Old Testament, Jesus in this new thing. Maybe they're just, you know what? Maybe they're just different routes up the same mountain. I mean, maybe God's okay with us doing whatever we want to do either way. And and our author says you cannot, you cannot leave Christ for Judaism. It's not going to work. And he's desperately wanting his people to know Christ is superior, and so we can appreciate. Here in this first big idea, if you have your Bibles open, you might notice how many cross references there are. You might notice all the ways that the scriptures indented. That's our editors showing us that he's not just, he's not just writing random information. He's actually using the Old Testament because this, young, this church had been schooled in the Old Testament. They knew the scriptures. And so he's going to use the Old Testament scriptures to show them how it actually points to how Christ is supreme. And so, right out of the gate, it helps us to understand why. In one four, he says that Jesus is more superior to angels because, like real talk, if you were going to write to a church there in Rome in sixty AD, wanting to make sure that they knew Jesus is superior, in the first point you'd make that he's superior to angels. It said nobody ever. All right, what in? I mean, if you're like me, and like, why is he talking about angels? Why, he right out of the gate, he goes into the deep end of the pool to say, "Hey, let's talk about how Jesus is superior to angels." Okay, some of you are looking at me like you know why he did this, and if you do know why he did this, why didn't you talk to me a couple months ago? You could have saved me a lot of time in this study. Uh, you know why he's talking about angels right there in four. Look at it: having become Jesus, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited, is more excellent than theirs. What you talking about, Willis? Why are we talking about angels? Here's why. Here's why. If you've read your New Testament, you'll know that there's two places, one from Luke, one from Paul, that actually explains the relationship between angels and the message Moses received. In case you forgot to brush up over this at breakfast, you might remember Moses is the author of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So Moses is he, he, he had the first five books, and that revelation is the old covenant. It's the old testament, and that message was delivered to Moses by angels. What? How, how, how have I been a preacher all these years and I had no idea? Here, look at these two texts: First Acts seven fifty three. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it, we preached through Acts. I, I missed that somewhere. Or check this out from Galatians. This is Paul, Galatians 3.19. Why then the law? It was added because of the transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. All right, here. this was so helpful to me. It's one of the pieces of context that has moved Hebrews from being this black and white, small grainy picture to totally high death. Here's, Here's what's going on in that small little church 60 AD probably in Rome you've got these people thinking i'm going to probably shift back to judaism because at least in judaism we have the old testament and we know that the people the, the, those beings that brought the message from god to moses they are angels and angels are incredible and so that's why our author goes first i got to get to angels if you've read through hebrews you know that he's going to get to moses He's going to get to Joshua, and he's going to get to the promised land, but he's starting with angels because he has to establish Jesus is superior to the angels. And, and, and be clear, he's not bringing angels down. I mean, that's, that's what we do in, in some ways. My, my team's better than yours, so we lower your team and we put our team up. No, he's leaving angels high. Angels are incredible. He's just putting Jesus way above them. I'm going to show you from God's word how he is making Jesus superior Look there at Hebrews 1.5. Put your finger on 1.5, and, and, and if your Bible has cross-references, you'll know that the first little indention is from Psalm 2, Psalm 2.7. The second little one is from 2 Samuel 7.14. And what you'll notice, this, these two verses, and it's a pair, what they have in common is the word son. If you've got a little handout that we printed for you, um, and, and you've got the scripture on the back side, I would just circle son, and I would connect them. Or if you have one of our free Hebrew journaling Bibles, I would circle the word son in each one of them. You are my son. Today I begotten you. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. What our preacher is doing is saying, Christ isn't merely an angel. He's not just an angel. He's a son of God. Angels are awesome. Like you ever, you ever talk to an angel? Angels show up at your place recently? Well, how would I know? Were you on your face afraid for your life? Because that's what everybody does in the Bible. Angels shows up and they say, oh, God, I worship you and I am on my face. And then the angel says, I'm not God. Don't worship me. He's up there. But we, I mean, angels are incredible in the scripture. And if you've met one, uh, you know that. But Jesus is, he's even better than angels. He is the son, the promised son of the Old Testament that, that David in Psalm 2 and in author of 2 Samuel 7, 14, points to so you can't leave jesus to go back to the message of the angels man he's the son of god that's his first point here's the second it's in verse six and seven it's another couplet two cross references one from psalm 97 7 one from psalm 104 verse 4 and what this couplet has in common is the word angels in fact if you got your little hand out there about Circle angels and connect them, because this is the key idea here. Angels don't get worshipped. Jesus gets worshipped. In fact, Psalm 97, 7, Jesus is the one the angels are worshipping. Of all the angels, verse 7, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Angels serve. They bring wind, they bring fire. What's that all about? Well, I'm happy to nerd out with you later in the ways that angels bring wind and angels bring fire. What is important for us to know right now is this contrast. First, Jesus isn't just an angel, he is the Son of God. Second, Jesus isn't just like tooling around like angels, he's the one they worship. Do you see what our author is doing? Hey, church, man, you cannot go back to to Christless Judaism. I know they have angels, but we got the one all the angels are pointing to. Third couplet is in verse 8 to 12. Look at verse 8 to 12. Again, two cross-references, one from Psalm 45, one from Psalm 102. What these two have in common is that Jesus is eternal. Look at verse 8. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. You might circle that. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Skip to verse 10. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. You remain. They all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same and. Your years will have no end. Circle that part of your years will have no end. Here in verses 8 to 12, I know it can feel dense, maybe a little challenging, but stick with me so you you get to see how this moves from black and white to high def. Our author is establishing that while the message of the Old Testament does have authority and it was delivered by angels, we have the one who is superior to the angels. He's the son of God. He's not the latest word from God. He is the last word from God. He's the one the angels are actually worshiping. And Jesus is the one who was there before the foundation of the world. Before angels ever existed, Jesus was there. Why are you going back to angels? It'd be something like this. Let's, let's say that um, there's a married couple that um, uh, they love each other. They just got married. And then the husband, um, let's say he's, he's got to go away for a while. Maybe it's deployed, whatever it is, six, 12 months, longer. And, and he gives his wife a love letter. And, and it is like the best love letter he's ever written. And, and she loves it. And, and, and let's say that that love letter, naturally, becomes very important to the wife. And so she reads it periodically, and, and, it, and it means so much to her. But, but how goofy would it be if the husband returned home, and he, and he rang the doorbell, or he, he, he came in and said, honey, I'm home, if she said, actually, you don't have to come back, you can go, because I just, that love letter is, is really what I want, your love letter to me is, is, is more important than you. That's what the Hebrews were being tempted toward. He's saying, you, you have the actual thing all the angels are pointing to, and you're going to leave it to go back? Verse th- 13 and 14, then culminating this first point. And here, here in 13 and 14, he's going to quote Psalm 110. I find it interesting. He has seven Old Testament references here. I find it interesting that in chapter 1, verse 3, there were seven descriptions of Christ. I also find it interesting that in this book of Hebrews, there will be seven warnings. I have to keep reading to find the other sevens that are here, but here in the seventh cross reference of this first argument, he is explaining Jesus is at the right hand of God. Jesus is on the throne, and the enemies will become the footstools of Jesus, 14, are they, angels, not all ministering spirits, sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Our author asking these leading questions. Uh, to which of the angels did God ever say? Answer, no angels. In fact, the angels are here to serve us. 14 says. The point, don't return to the old covenant given by angels When you actually have the final word in Christ. Here then, the connection for us today. If Jesus is superior to the angels, and if Jesus' message is superior to the message the angels delivered in the Old Testament, why then, Jesus is superior to anything you brought in with you today. Whatever thing that you brought in that is so important to you, Jesus is superior to that. I don't know what you are trusting in. I don't know where your authority is. For some people, they've made themselves their authority. I'm the boss of my life. I do whatever I want. For some people, their authority is their 401k. For for some people, authority is their favorite news channel that tells them what they need to know. For for others, their authority is culture or or emotion or reason or whatever thing that you're submitting yourself to and making king. That that this becomes the ruling passion for your life and all your decisions are actually ultimately based on this thing. Whatever that authority is, based on God's word, I'm telling you, Jesus is superior to it. He's superior. He's superior. He is not the latest word from God. He is the last word from God, and we submit to Christ. He is what the whole Old Testament is about. For did you notice in all of those seven references? Did you notice that our preacher doesn't take any time to like explain what they mean? He just trusts everybody knows what they mean. Do you notice he doesn't say? And, and by the way, the Old Testament always points to Jesus Christ. He just does it. He just presumes everybody understands. Of. Of course jesus is going to reign of course he's the son of god of course he's eternal he's saying read your bibles hebrews is all there and and it's it's sad for us that we don't know our bibles very well it, it's sad that we we do bible reading plans and and so much of this cross-reference we go i have no idea what that means Oh, and by the way, I'm not just indicting you, like, I'm, a, I'm paid to be a preacher, and, and when I get into this, it's like, gosh, what is happening? This, this first point is dense and challenging, but the preacher and those listening are so deeply biblical, there's barely any explanation of these texts, he just trusts that they get it. Jesus' message has authority, and that's why he's put all seven of these things together, because it would be like an argument that's like a wave. He's like a lawyer arguing and leaving the original audience, sitting there going, seven different references of good grief, of course Jesus is superior. There wouldn't be anybody left in that Hebrew's church who could say, well, based on the Old Testament, I still think angels are superior. There's just no way. He's eviscerated that argument. You have to ignore the Old Testament if you want to go back to the angels, because Jesus has been established as superior. And that's what our Hebrews pastor is doing, verse 4 to 14 of chapter 1. Jesus' message really has authority, and you've got to bow the knee to Jesus' message. Well, that moves then to his second point in this section we're preaching through. By the way, this one is quicker. Here it is. Pay attention. You are accountable. You are accountable. Look with me there, chapter 2, verse 1, as our author gives us the primary application. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. It's like a dad at the beach. Be careful, son. Be careful, daughter. Like a lifeguard at the pool. Pay attention. The water can be dangerous if you take it for granted. Verse 1, Christians we must pay attention. We must not drift. Verse 2 and 3, it is the warning. Look at verse 2 and 3. If ignoring the angel's message in the Old Testament brought punishment to them, how much more will ignoring Jesus' message bring punishment to us? Okay, what they would have gotten, maybe you didn't brush up on this over breakfast, is that that when Moses delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, and they're walking through the Red Sea, and they make it to Mount Sinai, and they get the Ten Commandments, and and Moses is to lead them into the Promised Land, that wilderness generation, they did not obey the message of Moses. They rebelled against Moses, and they were punished. Okay, they, they knew that, in case we don't, just remember That wilderness generation didn't make it to the promised land. Only two did. Joshua and Caleb, those are the only two. They obeyed God. Everybody else didn't, and they were punished. And our author's saying, I mean, if they're going to get punished for that deal, and that's just the angel's message, how much more will those who reject Jesus be punished? You won't escape God's punishment if you ignore Christ's message. That is what our author is saying in 2 and 3, and it should be a warning. You won't escape God's punishment if you ignore Christ's message. Finally, verse 4 be confident. The original audience didn't have to worry if this gospel message was a conspiracy theory, it wasn't a deep fake. It wasn't a deep faking, and, and here's why. End of verse 3. Jesus declared the message. And you know it's legit because Jesus said it. What is more, the apostles confirmed it. I mean, that should be plenty for it. It should be enough that Jesus said it, but just in case, Jesus declared it. Apostles confirmed it. The signs, wonders, and miracles validated it. Read book of Acts. Man, there's all this crazy stuff happening. It validates it. Finally, the Holy Spirit has given gifts to share this message. Our pastor pleading with the congregation, you can believe it. Have confidence. Jesus said it. Apostles confirmed it. Signs and miracles validate it. The Holy Spirit still gives gifts. There are still gifts operational in the church. It's proof that it's real. Again, the preacher pleading, listen to Christ. He's pleading with them, don't fall for Christless religion. It is tempting, but it is empty. And you will be held accountable if you drift from Christ. For us then, here's what what we need from this passage. Church, we are not to drift from Christ into another authority. Oh sure, the cultural tides are pulling us. Oh sure, it's way more comfortable... To go with the flow. Man, I get that. I don't understand exactly the kind of situation that you're living in or, or, or working in. or I don't exactly understand your family situation. But I'm confident that you are presented regularly with opportunities to reject Christ and to ignore him as the authority. But you must not fall for it. And if you begin to drift away, beware. You will be held accountable. because Jesus' message really has authority and how you respond to Christ's word matters. And that's what our author's saying in this passage. That's his word. Having then landed his two big ideas, let's move to application. Let me speak to Christians and then non-Christians. Apply this message. First, Christians, this comes right out of the passage there in 2-1. The primary application for you by way of question is this. Are you paying attention to Jesus' message? If you're in here and you would say, I'm a Christian, then here's the question for application. Are you paying attention to Jesus' message? And the answer ought to come pretty quick to you. So there's this time I was at the pool and I was on my phone, and somebody came up and they asked me in a not so nice voice, Are you watching your kids? And I wanted to answer in a not so nice voice, Yes, I am. But of course, the problem was, <laughs> I was not. <laughs> but of course, I didn't say that. Instead, I'm looking at my phone, they asked me that question, I'm like, uh, uh, you know, trying real quick to get an eyeball on them. I <laughs> wasn't watching them. If you're at the beach and somebody says, "Do you know where your kids are?" and you don't know, you don't know immediately. Yeah, boom, boom. Then, then you're not watching your kids. And so it is with this question, Christian. If you're sitting there and you're like man, am I, am I paying attention to Jesus' message? Not in like a genuine, reflective way, but in a way where you're like, man, that's not even on my radar to be paying attention to Jesus' message. I didn't even, I, didn't, I wasn't even thinking about that thing. Then, then I, I would suggest to you, your answer is no. No, if this isn't on your radar that you can drift from Christ, then you're like this six-year-old sitting on some inflatable in a dangerous and powerful ocean just unaware of what can happen to you, and you're in danger of drifting. But but a grace gift, here is a grace gift for you right now if you're a Christian. For any here who have been taking a spiritual nap and realizing that you are floating on this ocean with God, unaware, and you're drifting, a grace gift for you, wake up. This is no small thing. How you respond to Christ matters for eternity. Eternity is a long time. Hell is awful. And wake up. You're in danger and you need to listen quickly. Pastor's not talking to me. I mean, good grief. I got up this morning. I'm here at worship service. I even brushed my teeth. Of course, pastor's not talking to me. Glad you're at worship service. Also glad you brush your teeth. I did too. But remember original context. Just because we show up at church doesn't actually mean that this isn't a warning for us. Because because again, this letter, written to this early church, and and and. If read there in the worship service, they too had woken up, and they too had made themselves presentable, and yet they too were being tempted toward Christless religion. So you being here doesn't necessarily mean you're off the hook. Even if the last few months Sunday mornings have been fire to you, doesn't guarantee that this week or next week you're not drifting and far out somewhere in the ocean, falling asleep. Proximity to the message of Christ does not equal congruity with the message of Christ. Proximity does not equal congruity. Just because you're close to the message of Christ doesn't mean you actually believe it. Hello, look at Judas. Front row seat the whole time. Nearness to God's salvation doesn't assure belief in God's salvation, which means all of us would do well to consider, are we paying attention to Christ, or are we drifting off to sleep? As a next step, here's a couple questions that I've received from other people. None of them are original to me, but these are a few questions you might ask yourself it could become a litmus test for are you drifting from Christ? If you're a Christian here, I would encourage you, pick one of these. Maybe you could talk about it on the drive home if you drove with somebody, or, or, or maybe this could come up in your life group. Um, here's a couple of questions that I'd, I've actually got six for you that, that I'm just, pick one and, and use it to determine, am I asleep or, or, or am I actually actively paying attention to Christ? Question one, how real has God been to your heart this week? How real has God been to your heart this week? Question two, how certain are you right now of God's forgiveness and love? Are you aware of his great forgiveness for all your sin, his great love? Or is that like, oh. Three, is scripture alive and active to you? Scripture live and active to you because look, you can, you can, you can do your Bible reading plan. You maybe, maybe this is the year you haven't even missed a day yet. But if this thing is dead and boring to you, what's the point? Four, are biblical promises or biblical songs extremely precious to you right now? Five, in what ways has the Spirit convicted you recently? and are you responding I mean one of the most encouraging moments as a pastor is when is when somebody acknowledges man I had to go say sorry I had to go say sorry for this thing or you know sometimes people will come up and they'll say hey I need to apologize to you and they they apologize for something you think man you don't have to apologize to me for that and I, that that, that. But what I'm so encouraged is there's a sensitivity to something that's gone wrong. And even if I don't think the apology is necessary, I'm just so grateful that they're working to actually have a clear conscience before the Lord and do business with what the Spirit's calling them to apologize for. And for reasons beyond me, the Lord's given me opportunities to apologize 10 or more times a day. (laughs) How is the Spirit convicting you and are you responding? Final question, do you sense God is delighting in you because of his son? Like in the middle of the night, when there's nobody around but just you, just you and your thoughts, nobody's looking, in your heart of hearts, do you believe that because of Christ, God delights in you? Nothing to do with your Resume. Nothing to do with your obedience that we do. God delights in you. Perhaps you could ask somebody one of these questions. Perhaps you could share your answer to one of these questions. My hope is that these kinds of questions might help us to pay attention to Christ and not be lulled to sleep. We don't want to drift from Christ. That's the application section for Christians. Let me speak to those of you in here who are not Christians. Those of you in here who, who if I said, have you repented of your sins and trusted only in Jesus Christ? And you would go, I don't even know what those words mean, bro. So uh, answer then. You you may not be a Christian if you don't understand Jesus' death on the cross and, and how your sin has separated you from God and you need a savior. To those of you who walked in here, not a Christian. Let me ask you this question. Who is your authority? Who is your authority? I, I realize that's kind of a weird way to ask the question. A, a different way I could ask it, perhaps equally weird, is like, who is your king? So you're like, well, I'm American, man, and we kicked Great Britain to the curb, so I, I ain't got no king, you know? so, No, not, not like geopolitical king necessarily. I mean, like, who is the boss of your life? Folks a lot smarter than me have argued that, that, that everybody has a king, and it is either King Jesus or it is King you. Who wears the throne? Who, who wears the crown in your life? Who is sitting on the throne room of your heart? Now, I know that snarky college professors and the internet can criticize Christians because, oh, you guys make Jesus your king, and that's so stupid. And what I would just, I would, you're right, we do make Jesus our king. I just want to be consistent. And you have a king too. Now, who's your king? I might think it's kind of stupid. Sorry, too many snarky college professors. I'll have to talk to them later. Who is your king? Who is your king? Because whether your king is money, or whether your king is your feelings, or whether your king is your intellect, and how smart and how you understand everything, or whether your king is, is, is culture, or some popular person, or, or some influential person, tied, Everybody has a king. And, and the question then is, what is your authority? Because once you'd be willing to recognize that somebody is calling the shots in your life, for Christians, we let Jesus in his word call the shots. For you, someone is calling the shots in your life. Someone is the Supreme Court of your life. The question then becomes, when life goes bad, does your authority help you? Because everybody's gonna go through times in life when you're on spin cycle and you can't get your feet under you and there's all this grief and there's tragedy. And if, and if you're here and you'd say, well, I'm the king of my life and things are going quite fine, I, I would wonder, are you good with how life is going in the world? I mean, do you see the evil and suffering that's around us? Do you see war? And if you're the king, what are you gonna do about it? What answers do you have? And, and what I'm encouraging you to do is, is is take yourself off the throne and put Jesus on the throne because he actually has, he has power, and one day he is going to eradicate suffering and evil for good. And all that evil stuff that happens in our world, Jesus has an answer for it. Jesus is not only a king who provides great instruction for us if we listen. He actually is a king who one day will rule and judge rightly. And all the wrongs in this world will be fixed. And we will be judged based on how we responded to Christ. I know it's heavy to think that how you respond to Jesus actually matters for eternity, so I don't want to scare you away. If you're here and not a Christian, please keep coming back. Ask your questions, but understand that here in this moment, Christ is like the Coast Guard was for that six-year-old little girl. If you're here and you're not a Christian, Christ, as it were, has sovereignly brought you into this room at this exact time, hearing this exact word, and he is driving on his speedboat, and he is looking for you. He has found you right now. And the question is, do you want off your little inflatable and to go home? Yeah. Yeah. You got no shot against God if you're going to be on a little floaty in the ocean. But with Christ, he can get you home. Christian, don't drift off to sleep. Non-Christian, God has spoken. Listen to him. Make Jesus your king. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray, Spirit, you would put to the heart the things that are of you, Christ. Spirit, for those who've been lulled asleep, I pray you would wake them up. I pray. I pray that they would pay attention to you, Jesus. Spirit, for those here who have not made you their king, I pray, Spirit, you would save right now. You can do it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at MyMillCreek.com.